Hello, good people. This is Sir Chester Darris, your host for the new episode of the ADD Live podcast. Today, we're going to focus on dreams and the metaphysical. We're also going to talk a bit about ancient mysticism, religion, Christianity, and how they relate to dreams. So stay tuned for a spiritual experience. Dreams, they're interesting. Those that dream, that have lucid dreams, clear dreams that they can remember, like myself, are very, very unusual people because every time I close my eyes to sleep, I have a dream. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good. Some of them I think are good, but they have great messages to them. Some of them are prophetic. Some of them are just nonsensical. But we have dreams for a reason. Sigmund Freud used to think that dreams were a way way of us releasing all of the emotions and all of the feelings that we hold back during a conscious period of our life. We release it through dreams when we sleep. Some people feel that dreams are a way that God deals with you and sends messages to you and warns you many times. Some feel that they actually astral travel during the dream period and you go to another place and another time or another uh, dimension and carry out certain works. And if you look through the scriptures of the ancient text, it seems to be a little bit of truth to all of those claims. But we're not going to talk about the effects of dreams or the reason for dreams or the ideology behind dreams. Because some people never dream. They don't remember their dreams. I remember most of my dreams. So we're going to explore some dreams today. Uh, The first dream that I want to talk about the dream that I had recently. And in this dream, there was an order of men that were becoming powerful in society. And these men had organized and they worked in tubes and they were trained 
in twos. So there would be two men that were trained to think alike, act alike, respond to the same things in the same way. They had to practically live together. They had to practically become one. And they were so intertwined with each other to carry out the plan of this organization that they were known by wearing a certain coat in public. And this coat was designed as to where it fit over both men at the same time, but it only had two arms. It had a left arm and a right arm, and the coat spread the span of both of their bodies, and one arm for the man on the left had a left arm available, and on the opposite opposite side, the right arm was available for the guy that walked on the right side. But the coat did not have arms for both of them. When they walked through the street, they were always walking together in the same pace, the same stride with their inner arms encoupled. And the coats even have fur that stretched around both of their necks. It was a very unusual dream. These men were like the highest level of killers that you could release into society. They were psychopathic, sociopathic killers. They had no other reason to live than to execute the will of this organization. This organization was founded and ran by Satan himself. And they preyed on the weakest of people children, senior citizens, anyone that they could choose at will to execute destruction, torture, perversion, whatever. And they were released in society all over the world. So in this dream, I encountered them through a relative of mine that had joined this organization and was being initiated into it and was explaining to me that some of the things that we had been accustomed to doing, he couldn't do it anymore. Uh... I wasn't able to come in and out of my home at will. I wasn't able to travel about at will because this organization uh, 
would be around since he was a part of it. And these men had grievous tendencies to destroy and hurt anybody that they came in contact with. It didn't even really matter to them. They just did it to anybody that was there. And since he had chose to join that, that organization, he was forced to abide by the rules and regulations of this evil organization. And so we lived in a project building. Uh, a dark project building with very little light. And I entered a room that I was not supposed to enter, that he had warned me not to enter. But I entered it anyway. And in that room was a child. And once we entered the room, one of these duo couples, one of these guys, well, it was actually two guys, but they had this coat. They walked in in perfect stride, in perfect unison. And they all spoke in unison. Their words were uttered at the same time. One pulled out a decree and began to read it. And they both spoke the decree in unison. And they sentenced me and this child to death because we entered this room. This decree went something like, we now proclaim this day to be the day that you will be condemned to death by this organization because you have violated the rules and regulations thereof. And they begin to read and read and read. And me and the child was sitting there waiting to see what was going to happen next. And that's when I woke up. Recurring dreams or dreams that come on a regular basis. And people that have lucid dreams and that are consistent dreamers have recurring dreams and sometimes uh, the dreams will uh, continue where the last dream left off. So I've had several recurring dreams but Elsie Duncan described one of her recurring dreams. I interviewed her a few months back. In the interview, she revealed to me that 
he worked at this plant for years and he had a lot of issues with that particular job because she was a female and she just felt that she was mistreated and not paid right and that, you know, people just gave her a hard time there because she was an attractive woman and she wasn't the type that would just fool around with anybody and there were a lot of men there and uh, they constantly hit on her and caused her several issues uh, with the union. And it was just a big headache. She stayed there for about 15 years until she just finally decided to let the job go, regardless of how good it paid. She worked in an aerospace company and she was just fed up with the whole company. So she she left and went into another profession. But Elsie was a, a lucid dreamer. And she said that she constantly had dreams at least one, one every so many months of her being back in the plant and just kind of floating through different departments in the plant, seeing some of the people that she used to work with. And although they could talk to each other, they would see her, but they would never say anything to her. And she would just roll through the part, uh, through the departments and just kind of float here and there and see different individuals working. And she would go outside and go to a different building, see people on the lot. And then, you know, at the end of the dream, she would she would realize she had been back into the plant. And this dream would come on a regular basis to her. And I could relate to her on that. Because in my career, I worked as an engineer and I worked a lot of contract jobs. And so I would go to different cities in different towns throughout the Midwest and throughout the East to uh, find work as a contractor. And I would work at all these different companies and and go in and uh, do uh, quality assurance on their procedures I would audit their processes. And over the years, I I worked in several, several cities, several companies. After a while, it becomes kind of mind-boggling because, you know, you may be on a contract for six months in one place then you may be on a year contract somewhere else, and then you might go back to that place and work three months. And then you go to another town or work. It depends upon where the headhunter sends you. 
and, and that was determination of where you would work. And pretty soon you would get used to doing the traveling and the driving back and forth. Well, <clears throat> when I finally got settled down and uh, an educational position where I went to the same place every day for years, I began to have these dreams where I would work at this one place and I would have to drive a long distance to get there. And it was a tedious drive. Usually it was in inclement weather or in the winter when it's when driving is most uh, dangerous and you know there are more hazards and I'm driving on the highway and slick pavement and trying to get to this plant that I don't even really know where it's at and the weather's getting bad I'm in a rush to get there because the people are waiting for me. And uh, after several, several hours of driving, I finally reached the place. I get out of my car, shut the door, enter the building, and I meet the people that I'm going to be working with. They tell me what duties I'm assigned to and I begin to work and the job is paying a really really great amount of money so I enjoy doing the work and I work and have a good day and get back and drive this long distance back to the house that I live in now a two or three hour drive to get to work is is very difficult. So in this in this recurring dream that I have, I'm driving this long distance every time I have this dream, and it's just far enough to be out of my reach. You know, as far as getting to the place on time. So I'm always getting there on, on, a, on a late schedule. And I just stay there a few minutes to work. And I come back and make the drive back. And I have this dream over and over and over again. And then it starts developing. And... I would have a circumstance where I say, okay, I did all this work out here and they're holding these checks that I never got. So when this dream comes back after I had it so many times, I haven't picked my check up from these jobs. So they have my check waiting for me. But it's so far that I never find the time to be able to go and get my check. 
So, in this dream, I'm driving out there to go and pick up my money. But when I get there, I don't think about so much to check. I just get there and work a little bit, come back, never getting paid for the position. So it's just a dream that went on for several years. And after a while, I just stopped having that dream. But dreams are very beautiful things sometimes. And that can be very painful. That can be very happy. And many times I have awoken from a dream and I was literally crying from the experience of the dream. So dreams vary from one person to the next. Then you have those dreams that are just terrifying. I mean, I've had some terrifying dreams. One particular dream I had, I was walking through a park and I walked up into the park and I was seeing a bunch of people just running and just, I mean, they were just running as if they were trying to get away from something in droves. I mean, it was just really, really terrified people just running in one direction. And I just started running myself. So I started running and I saw this guy that uh, that I knew. And um, he was running as well. And uh, I said, man, what's going on? He, and he turned to tell me what was going on. He said, man, just get out of here. And when he said that, he turned around and looked behind himself. And this guy threw this brick with this inhuman force. I mean, it was like, a dynamic, I'm sorry, a demonic force. He threw this brick, and I mean, he hurled this brick with so much power and force, and it hit my friend smack in the face. I mean, knocked him down, and I was like, oh my God. And he shook it off and got up and just started running again. And so I started running and everybody was scattering and through this field. And I saw this warehouse or uh, some type of building and I was trying to get away. So I ran in the building and uh, I was looking around trying to hide from these people that were chasing everybody. And so I heard somebody in the back of the boiler room that I went into with all these pipes and everything. And uh, 
I looked behind me and I saw somebody coming towards me. And I started trying to get away from this guy. And uh, he finally caught up with me. I mean, I was really terrified. And he reached out. And when he touched me, it felt like the touch of death. And when he touched me and made contact with me, I sat up in the middle of my bed and woke up. That was the most frightening dream. That's one of the most frightening dreams I've ever had. I've had a bunch of them. But that was one of the most frightening dreams I've ever had. Then there was another terrible dream that I had. I guess I was about 14, no, I was born like 16, 17 years old. We were living in a pretty dangerous neighborhood at the time. And I was in my room. I fell asleep. And when I fell asleep, I was in this state of uh, not being able to move, but I could see everything around me. Older people in the South say that the witches ride you when you have these experiences. You're like paralyzed, you can't move, but you see everything around you and you're trying to get away, but you can't. And so I was having these occurrences a lot and uh, they were really frightening to me when when I would have that experience. And I'm laying in the bed. I can look around my room. I can see everything. But I couldn't move. My body couldn't move. And all of a sudden, I had my window open. All of a sudden, I could hear somebody outside my window. Now, I was up on the second floor, but there was a little back area under my window. And I heard somebody saying, just making kind of demonic noises. And I mean, I was frozen stiff. And a voice spoke to me and said, when you wake up, I want you to get out of the bed first thing in the morning Go out to your car and look at your car. Your battery cables will be cut and somebody will have stolen your battery. But that's a sign that you need to start bettering your spiritual life and find you some place to worship because you've been overtaken by these demonic spiritual entities that begin to enter your life and try to mess your life up. So I said, okay. So when I woke up, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was really shook up. I eventually fell back asleep. But when the morning came, first thing I did was put my clothes on, went out to my car. Popped the hood of my car, 
1969 Delta 88 that I had gotten in the 70s. And sure enough, somebody cut my cables and stole my battery. It was the most amazing thing that ever happened. And I felt like that was definitely a sign from God. And so I started church hunting. I started going, looking for church. Eventually I found a good church to join, but that was what drove me. To, to make some changes in my life. So sometimes dreams come to, to warn you or, or to direct you or to make you change some things that you may be doing that are not in your best interest. Uh, I had some great dreams as well. I've had some great positive dreams. But those were some of the dreams that actually drove me to doing something else. There was a time in my life when I was a very unhappy young man. And I was in my early 20s and my mind kept going on uh, not suicide, but just not really wanting to live anymore. And, you know, this situation was on me. I didn't realize I had everything in the world going for myself, but I was just plagued with this depression. I didn't realize how depressed I really was because at that time, you know, nobody cared about a guy being depressed. You just had to deal with life as it came. And so I was severely depressed. I was in a bad relationship, and uh, things just weren't really, I felt, weren't going the way I wanted them to go in my life, and I was just tired. I was like, man, I'm just tired of living. And that was the last thought that I had before I went to sleep that night and so and I remember these dreams because at that time I was doing a lot of sleeping in my mother's basement I was single I didn't have any kids so I I used to just go in the basement she had a bunch of furniture down there and I would just lay out in this bed to get away from everybody and I would sleep in this basement and that last dream that I had about the uh, people, this guy chasing me through his boiler room, that was in that same bed. So this particular dream that I had in that same, during that same time period was uh, I, I went to sleep, you know, just depressed and not wanting to live. And I said, you know what, man, I just really want to just God to take me now. Just I'm tired of everything. I just don't want to live anymore. I went to sleep. And so previously I'd had an argument with my mom and I was just not really nice to some people. And I went to sleep. And uh, I had this dream and I was laying in a casket 
And they were actually giving my funeral. And I I was I was in the casket and I was laying there and there was a veil up that people could open and look in on me. And I saw people open the veil. Then I knew and they was look down in the casket look at me and they would cry. And then they would close the casket. And then somebody else would open it. And they would shake their head and say, oh, oh, poor Eddie or whatever. They would shut this. And then the people that I had been raising hell with that, that particular week start showing up. And the first one was somebody that I had fallen out with. And they opened it and looked at me and they were crying. And then my mother opened it and she looked at me and she was crying. And I was like, man, I'm dead, but there's a lot of people opening these curtains that I have not straightened my life out with. Am I sure I'm ready to go now, or do I need to try to straighten out these relationships I had before I died? And then I woke up. That that was that was that shocked me. I mean, it was I don't, I don't understand how the subconscious mind works, but I believe your subconscious mind. Always work in your favor because I think it's it's uh, it's a mechanism that God put in you to allow you to be able to make decisions that are going to help you in life. If your subconscious is tainted and corrupt, you're really in trouble because it's going to be telling you to do the wrong things. I'm not sure. I haven't done any studies on it, but I believe your subconscious or your superconscious mind always tries to work in behalf of positivity in your case. But I guess it it depends on what you feed it. If you feed negativity to yourself, then your subconscious mind will be negative. My dreams, sometimes they're pretty rough and sometimes they're pretty harsh, but they always seem to help me as far as direction. You know, many times I'll have a dream and it'll help me make a decision or to show me where I'm wrong in a situation or it may show me where I'm right and should keep going in that direction. So I'm fortunate because our dreams have really directed me. I, I, I write music and 
songs and, and many songs that I've written were based on dreams that I had. Uh, I've I've written screenplays and shot movies based on dreams that I had. So dreams can be, I found them to be very positive. I can't really think of any negative experience that I've had from a dream. They've always helped me, whether they were nightmares or whether they were, you know, feel-good dreams. There was one particular dream that I had that I consider probably the most beautiful dream that I've ever had. I never forgot this. And it was in the same era as the other couple of dreams that I've told you about. And uh, during this period, I was uh, doing a lot of praying and meditating and I was really feeling better about myself inside. And I was doing a lot of reading of the scriptures and a lot of praying and a lot of uh, seeking answers from God. Went to sleep. And, and, and everybody that knows me, I mean, most people that know me, Every time I wake up, I have a dream. I talk to my mother about a dream almost every day. I I mean, even when I take a nap, I have a dream. So I'm always dreaming, and I really like it. But this particular dream was the most beautiful dream that I think I've ever had in my life. Um, I was sleeping. I was laying in the bed and I felt my spirit leave my body. And it was going up. Went through the roof of my house. And you know, you look out of look out of the window of an airplane when you just taking off. I could see myself slowly being lifted to the atmosphere and I could look down and see where I was leaving the atmosphere. And when I got to a certain point, my body started feeling like it was uh, transforming into another Form of matter. It, it was my body was no longer flesh and blood. It was transforming into like water drops, and I felt this real clean, cooling wind on my face as I was ascending higher and higher, and. Uh, I began to hear this music, and it was just beautiful. And it was almost as if I was hearing angels sing, and it was a song that they were singing 
call life is like a living water. Life is like a living water. And they were singing, it was just beautiful. And then I felt myself go from raindrops to smaller particles and molecules. And I was just feeling my whole uh, body just take on these different forms, a whole different uh, manifestation of my presence. The higher I went up, the more beautiful it got. And then in my conscious mind, for just a second, I thought, oh my God, what's happening? And I got a little shaken. And as soon as that second happened, that thought happened, I began to descend back into my body. And But that was the most beautiful dream that I ever had in my life. I never forget it. And I can still hear what they were singing in my mind. It was beautiful. I know, I, I know that was a touch from God. And it was just beautiful. Then there are dreams that I've had that have told me about things that were to come that I never would have imagined would happen. And then I find myself in that situation years later. In the late 80s, when hip-hop first hit the the scene and young people were getting into hip-hop, I was into the gospel music world at the time. And so I saw hip-hop music as a threat to our black community. I, 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 you know, I could see, I seemed to be able to see where it was going before it got there. And this was at the days of, uh, you know, as early as Run DMC. Now, when they first started, you know, I, I, I could hook up and understand where they were coming from as far as entertainment was concerned. Because I'm a musician and I'm a producer. So I understood the entertainment aspect. But when they came out with Whose House, Run's House, and it, that wasn't violent, but it was something about the spirit of that song that kind of Gave me a vision on where what was where things were going in hip hop. It was it was not aggressive. They they were never a gangster rap group, but that was more aggressive than any rap that I'd ever heard at that time. So sometimes you know when you're listening to music or you're watching TV and you go to sleep, you can. I don't know, the the, the uh, television show or the music that you listen to 
can become the soundtrack to the dream that you have. I don't, so somehow the subconscious mind can creatively put these elements together to send you a message. So I was watching BET one day in my family room and that record came on, whose house runs house, whose house runs house. Okay, so I'm, I'm listening to it and in the dream, I was in this huge mansion and every celebrity in R&B, hip-hop at that time was at this party. And there were a bunch of gang members there. Bunch of gang members. And there was a dangerous air in, you know, a dangerous spirit in the air. And I could feel it. And I was like, man, I don't even understand what I'm doing here. Because I don't even really listen to hip-hop. I'm not really into it. You know, I was into Andre Crouch and Walter Hawkins, the gospel music. I was not really ready for hip-hop because when it came out in the 80s, I was already going into my 30s, so I wasn't a kid. So it was like stupid kid music to me. You know, it's kind of wild to me. So plus I was just on a whole different consciousness level at that time. I was very mature, you know. So I'm listening to this record in my half sleep and I'm in this situation with all these hip hoppers and gang members and everything and I'm scared as hell. I'm like I don't even want to be here. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I and I woke up, okay, and I never thought about it again. That was 88. In 91, I started a TV show. It was a, it was a, I, I was a producing artists. And I was trying to find out a way to promote them. So I talked to this guy and he said, you know what, man? A good way to promote your artist since you can't get a buzz. If you want to get a buzz in St. Louis, then what you should do is go to the cable station and start your public access TV show. And I, I went and got the training. Although I had taken media design in college, so I already knew how to make films and, and operate broadcasting equipment and stuff like that. I had done radio shows, but I didn't really uh, know how to make a cable show at the time, so I went and got trained, and I was a natural at it. You know, I, I got a I gotten a, a scholarship from St. Louis University based on a film that I made, so I already knew. But cable was big at that time, so I had to get trained and learn how to audit, uh, uh, edit, and <clears throat> do that type of thing. And so I started this show and I contacted the record labels to uh, to get videos. At that time, videos were huge. 
So I started getting videos from all over the country. Every record label was wanting me to promote their artists. And I had to show. I had like seven or eight hours of airtime a week on the local cable station. And the show was hot. And so I got it in Chicago. And I got it in Los Angeles. And I was getting in different markets. And, you know, so I would rotate the shows where they would air here, air in Chicago. And then they would go to L.A. and they would air them there, come back to St. Louis. And, you know, that was what I was in for about three or four years. You know, I started meeting a lot of people in the business and, you know, making the contacts that I needed to make to give our artists in the record industry. By the time I put so much energy into making the television series, I stopped producing artists because they got impatient. They was like, man, you know, you off into this TV show now, man. So, you know, I mean, I would have them make appearances on there and have them sing on there, but they didn't understand the promotion process. But the record industry did. And they were like, hey, man, you raising our sales in that era, area. So, you know, they was doing whatever I asked them to do. So pretty soon, you know, Atlantic Records and Warner Brothers and all these different record labels, they started sending me to these different meetings and uh, different um uh, festivals or, or or seminars that they had all over the country. And if an artist was in town, you know, performing, they would send them to me to do a, a promotional interview or uh, give a party. You know, we had Bill Bellamy, Martin Lawrence. We had everybody that came through St. Louis was on my show. And I gave them a party. And so I was hooked up with the club owners and they would pay for the limousine and everything. It was a very, it was becoming a very lucrative business for me. So eventually I got hooked up with some people in New York to produce somebody. I was producing somebody in New York and at the same time I finished a tour with the blues legend, Buddy Ace. I was I had played guitar for him. Got tired of that. And I ended up going to California to do a Los Angeles version of my show. I remember the dream that I had. Now, when I had this dream, I hadn't done any of this stuff yet. So one day, I got invited from Def Jam Records to go to uh, this video shoot for Montel Jordan. He had done This Is How We Do It. And I interviewed him about three or four times because I was staying in LA at the time. But he was about to do his second release after the album called something for the honeys. And so Russell Simmons had rented the top golf course 
in the Los Angeles area for this video shoot. Everybody in hip-hop was there except Tupac. And the reason why Tupac wasn't there was because he he was in the studio all the time during that era. So I I didn't see Tupac and I didn't meet Suge Knight. But everybody else, everybody else was at that particular video shoot. Except for Ice Cube. So Snoop and the Dog Pound was there. You know, and um, the guy that sang his hook lines, uh, he was there. Oh, man, it was just Brownstone was there. Russell Simmons was there. Uh, Tevin Campbell was there. Everybody that was hot at that time, uh, was was at that video shoot. And so I interviewed Snoop Dogg and the Dog Pound. The entire Dog Pound was there. Mark Carey was there. And so when I got to interviewing him, I had I had a whole crew. I was the only video person there. That gave me complete access to that particular video shoot because I had done so many favors for Def Jam, Russell Simmons. I had met him that day, and uh, he gave me access to whatever. So I interviewed Brownstone, everybody there. You know, I was getting this footage together for the show, and so I had my crew. They had food upstairs in this house, this mansion. So, I walked walked up to the mansion. I told my crew to keep shooting what was happening. I was going to get me something to eat. I went up and I, I, I was standing looking out on the golf course and Snoop Dogg walked up and he spoke to me again very nice guy. He went in and started getting some food. Got a bunch of food lined up. And I'm just sitting up there watching my cameraman shoot the golf course scene. And uh, I looked around. I was in this mansion. And all these hip-hop people was there. And it dawned on me that dream had materialized. So I looked out on the, uh, I was looking out on the golf course, and Nate Dog was out there, and there was a, I forgot the BG, I forgot BG Knockout was out there, and my my uh, cameraman was just shooting randomly. What was going on? A fight broke out on the golf course. I mean. A huge fight. Uh, I don't even want to say what happened, but it it was pretty brutal. I saw uh, Nate Dog get hit with a golf court club by BG Knockout, and they was fighting. It was just like a big, big fight that broke out, and I was the only one that had the footage. So everybody wanted to get footage of that because. 
And they want to find out who did what so that, you know, for retaliation purposes or whatever. And I was like, hey, man, I'm from the Midwest. I didn't come out here to uh, referee or, you know, turn people against each other. You know, whatever differences. This was not even the East Coast, West Coast thing. But it was the summer of 95. So that was when, you know, the East Coast, West Coast thing had reached the pinnacle. So nobody was coming out from the East Coast. Except for nine, I believe. Nine came out. But other than that, you know, the East Coast was not even really answering their phone if they saw you calling out there from Los Angeles. But this particular fight, you know, this was a local thing. And it was nasty, man. And they had terrible beef. So I was like, wow. That dream actually came true. And it's a long story that happened after that. But, you know, it was just amazing. That's when I realized that dreams are very, very special gift. It's a gift actually and that's not the last time that happened to me that's happened to me a lot I've I've had dreams and find myself in the circumstance so uh, check your dreams you may be seeing a prophecy and not realize it So I hope you enjoyed our little podcast on dreams. And just remember, you know, whether you believe in God or not, dreams can be vital to your survival. In the Bible, you know, we had a lot of dreamers. Like I said, Daniel could interpret dreams. Joseph could interpret dreams. But Joseph was also a dreamer. And he had a wonderful dream about his brothers being subservient to him. And him uh, actually, the dream led to him actually being the second most powerful ruler in the land of Egypt. He had the dream. He believed the dream. Nobody else believed it. And most didn't like it. They wanted to kill him about that dream. So sometimes you need to keep your dreams to yourself. Because if it's something that somebody doesn't want to hear, they can be very upset when you tell them you dreamed about them doing this or doing that. Sometimes you need to have a, a find a more subtle way to let people know that you've had a dream or a vision about them. So I dream all the time. And almost everybody that has passed in my family, I've had a dream about it before it happened. And I would tell my mother or tell somebody, you know, I dream that such and so and so happened. And I dream this. And at the same time, I've had dreams that brought me into 
a lot of money. Some people believe that if you have dreams that you're in a house and water is flowing through the roof and flowing through the walls and coming up through the floorboards and your house is getting flooded and you're in a panic and desperate situation, that says that you are about to come into great prosperity. Some people believe that. But, you know, I don't think it's just no... No, I don't think there's just one way to interpret a dream. I think dreams can be interpreted in a diverse number of ways, but at the same time, you know, make sure that you're dealing with somebody that's authentic. You can't deal with some soothsayer or some uh, jackleg that just wants to exploit people over dreams. But nevertheless, we'll have more stories like this and podcasts like this to come about dreams. And we're going to do one on astro travel because a lot of people are experiencing that and they don't understand it. We may be able to shed some light on it. So until the next time, this is Flugas Darius. Have a great, great day. And pay attention to your dreams. Write them down on a piece of paper. It could be the next great book or it might be the next great movie if you write it down and take it to heart.